0: Great We have the privilege this morning of a great friend of mine, Pastor Sivie, to share his profundity with us. Can we welcome him? Thank you, Jess. All right. Well, good morning, great people. Uh, it's good to see you. It's been a while since I've been up here. I was on holiday. I'm back, I'm fat, I'm happy. God is good. But um, really is a privilege. Those of you who are guests this morning, I want to thank you again for making us a part of your Sunday. And really hope that you feel at home. Uh, today we are starting a new series entitled Bless the City. Bless the City. The 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 backdrop of the series is found in a conversation in the Old Testament, Genesis 12, between God and an old guy by the name of Abraham. And God basically visits Abraham and he changes his life, man, with one conversation. Have you ever had that like one conversation? Just completely. Changes your life forever. Like when your wife comes, to you, she doesn't even say anything. She just shows you the pregnancy stick, just looks at you, drops it. It's like, yeah, and it's yours. You know, those <laughs> those moments will change your life forever. When you get that email that says you got that bursary, or or, or when Vodacom tells you they'll send you your data bundles back. There are certain moments <laughs> that will forever mark your life. And this was one of those moments for Abraham. God looks at Abraham and he says this, very simple. He says, I am going to make you great. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you might be a blessing. Simple conversation, but the undertones in this message are big. And the undertones in this conversation are massive. One of them is this. Being blessed is a means to an end. It is not the end in and of itself. If you camp out on the island of bless me more, bless me more, you will eventually become stale in your life. And you will become stuck in the unused potential and undistributed blessings that God has given you for you but for his purposes. That ultimately being blessed has a purpose. I love the fact that when God said this to Abraham, Abraham was already wealthy. And so what God is trying to say to Abraham is this, if you want to change the nations, it is not your wealth or your influence that will do it, but it is my God-given blessing upon your life that will change the nations if you choose to be a blessing with my blessing. A great story here that uh, I'm always reminded of when you talk about being a blessed to be a blessing is when Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he prayed for them and they multiplied. The question I always wanted to know is where did the multiplication take place? Did it take place in the hands of Jesus? No. The the multiplication actually took place in the hands of the disciples. As they were walking around, blessing one and each and every person, the more they blessed, the more it multiplied. I know we want to see miracles happen in our life, but there's a place of miracles, and it's called being a blessing. It's in that place, in that space, that when we live with His heart in mind, that we see his heart being demonstrated in and through our lives. If I was Jesus, and I'm sure if Pastor Simon was Jesus as well, I would have taken the opportunity right there while those people were busy eating that KFC loaf, because that's what it was, it was a KFC loaf, okay? While they were eating that KFC loaf, I would have said, all right, now repent of your sins and come to me. Come to Jesus with your full stomachs and you will be saved. I do not know why Jesus didn't take that moment. Yeah. I know for a fact that at least few thousands of people would have been saved, but he didn't do that. No, I, I'll be honest with you. As a preacher, that's a hard text for me. Because it's like, well, Lord, the moment is right there. The miracle is there. This is an altar call moment, but didn't do it. <laughs> we, we will be taking an altar call. You know, to <laughs> <not anything. laughs> Some of you are like, thank you. No, 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 no. <laughs> But here's why I think he didn't do it. Here's a people who are hungry. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrates to them the realities of a kingdom that is way beyond our natural realm. He allows them to taste what it feels like to be under his lordship. This is what it's going to feel like. This is what it feels like to be blessed by my authority. No wonder then when Peter in the in book of Acts, when he preaches, no wonder 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because they had tasted of the kingdom that is above all other kingdoms. They had known that, man, there is a king who exists, that who is not only benevolent, but he's powerful. Yeah. And his words reign beyond the natural circumstances of life. The second undertone in this conversation is simply this. Abraham was not the originator of blessing the nations. The the whole idea came from God. It didn't come from Abraham. It's it's God who rocked up in Abraham's life and said, this is what I'm going to do to you for them. Anyone want God to do something to you? Well, it is for them. I'm glad that other people think you're great. I really am. But God is waiting for you to be a blessing to them. He really is. He really is. And so when we talk about blessing, blessing the city, what we want to do is align our hearts to the heart of God, that his heart is reflected to Abraham and it changes Abraham's life. Five years ago, my dad told me that he wanted to build uh, a home in the rural areas where he comes from, um, where my grandfather used to live. And he was sharing it with me with tears in his eyes, saying, man, I want to do this. I want to build this home before I die. That kind of heart vulnerability changed my heart. It makes you stay up at night trying to figure out how can I help my dad to build this house. My mom told me, hey, I want to be in ministry. That kind of vulnerability messes up your heart. You're trying to figure out how you can make the checks and balances work so that you can stand behind the vision that is placed in the one you love's heart. When I I started, when I came back here, I sat down with Pastor Roger, and I said, Pastor Roger, what do you want for Every Nation Rosebank? Now that the bishop has taken over, you call him bishop, when they're white, you say pastor, when they're black, you say bishop. I just want to let you know. (laughs) Just in case you're wondering how to address Pastor Simon, don't say, you're not going to understand. You say, Pastor, you're going, who are you talking to? <laughs> I am joking. That is a bad joke.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hear me. Asking Pastor Simon, what do you want? What is in your heart? I, I believe that God has placed something in your heart that needs to affect me. It needs to affect me. It must change the way I do stuff. And I hope in this sermon, as we look at God's heart, which matters for our city, that your heart will be changed as you brush up upon his heart. Taste a little bit of really what is burning in his heart, not only for the city, but for the lost, and for the nations of the world. We're going to take time to look at the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. I know we stand a lot in this church, but would you help me for a moment, out of reverence for the word, if we could stand as we read. (coughs) I'll read it out. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Father, thank you again for your word. This morning, I pray that as we hear your word, that our hearts will be broken with the things that break your heart. For your purpose, I pray. Amen. Amen. Three things I want to look at in this text that reflect to us the heart of God for the city, for the lost, and for the nations. One, his kindness to his pursuit, and lastly, his joy. His kindness, his pursuit, and his joy. Luke 15 is a common passage of Scripture. It is filled with three parables that we know. It's a parable of the lost sheep, the one I just read, the parable of the lost coin, which is the second one, and lastly, the parable of the lost sons. Jesus says these parables in response to verse 1 and 2, when the pharisees the religious people of the, of the day walk in to a dinner party with jesus tax collectors and a bunch of sinners and as they walk in they are they are disgusted if i if i may put it in that way by the fact that jesus is hanging out with these kind of people now the word tax collectors and sinners for us doesn't mean the same thing that it means to them, unless if you owe SARS money. But what the word tax collector meant to them is this. Tax collectors were Jewish people who went to other Jewish people and collected tax from them. And then they hiked up the tax prices, took that money, funded the Roman regime that was oppressing the Jewish people, and also took a little bit of money for themselves. These Jewish tax collectors still lived within the Jewish uh, communities. They went to the Jewish festivals, um, but they were so despised in their communities because of the fact that they were betraying their community. They were looked at as traitors. They were so despised that if a crime was committed to you and a tax collector saw the crime and you took the tax collector to the court to say, here's my witness, they wouldn't take his testimony. Also, if the tax collector went to a synagogue, church gathering, much like this, and he gave his money, they wouldn't accept his money. Now, I know some of you are going, can I be a tax collector (laughs) and a sinner? Don't do that. Uh, But here's the reality. They were not accepted. And even the word sinners, the word sinners was uh, indicative of people who had diseases that people would look at and go, man, that's a bad disease. I don't want that disease. Or people that were unacceptable in their culture. And so the Pharisees are going, why is Jesus hanging around with these people? These people do not deserve the presence of someone who claims to be a man of God. I think of the world and how the world thinks of the church. I think the world honestly thinks that the church is a place of judgment. They don't think the church is a place of kindness. To be honest, some of you in this room feel the same way. I mean, you you love Jesus and what he stands for. You know, your idea of Jesus, he probably has long hair and a ponytail. You know what I mean? About my size. You know what I mean? I understand. (laughs) But when it comes to the church, you're like, I, I don't really tell my friends that I go to the church because I know. And maybe you get the same thing that happens to me. I struck off a, a, a great conversation with someone. And the moment I tell them what I do, already they change the tone. Right? And, and there's still that thing happening. But when I look at Jesus' life, man, his kindness was incredible. Yeah. Him choosing to make company, to even eat with tax collectors and sinners, was not a reflection of him. Promoting their lifestyle. But it was a reflection of his kindness to a broken world. This picture up here is is reflective of a story of Mary Magdalene. who Her first encounter with Jesus was that she got busted in the act of adultery. How about that? Right? And Jesus does this. (laughs) He brings Mary Magdalene out. The Pharisees are trying to stone her. They're trying to judge her. And Jesus draws a line between the Pharisees and Mary Magdalene. And he protects her from judgment. How many people in your life are you drawing a line for? How many people in your life who who you don't agree with their lifestyle? You don't agree with their politics. You don't agree with the level of corruption. You don't agree with, with their lifestyle. How many people... Are you bending down for drawing a line that they would be protected from the judgment of the religious people and allowing them to experience some level of kindness? And I know what you're feeling because I feel it too. These kind of scriptures, you're like, Lord, you shouldn't put this here because we're trying to work down here, right? (laughs) And what you're feeling is this. No, 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 there's time for truth. I totally agree. The wonderful thing is when Jesus finishes this interaction with Mary Magdalene, he ends it with truth. And he says, now go therefore and do not sin. Jesus is the only one who learned how to marry both kindness and truth. The Bible says the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but the truth of God will set you free. People need both. But the Pharisees tried to marry the truth of God with the traditions of men. They said, no, 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 if, if you want to be free, if you want to live in truth, you need to take on our traditions. You need to make sure you don't drink. You need to make sure you don't do this, make sure you don't do that. Then you'll walk in the truth of God and you will be free. And tradition doesn't change one's heart. But the kindness of God does. Titus 3, verse 4 to 7 says this For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us need to be saved from our sin, and loving kindness of God does that. But some of you actually need to be saved from your good works. The fact that you think that your good deeds mean something, they they, they don't. The fact that you think that your good deeds can qualify you to be loved more. And if you believe that, if you genuinely believe that the more you do good, the more God will bless you, you need to repent. You need to allow His loving kindness and His mercy to remind you that there is no amount of things you can do that can make Him love you more. Second point I want to look into is his pursuit. Verse 3 to 4 talks about uh, uh, what man who has a hundred sheep would not chase after the one. Now, I'll be honest with you. It goes on to say he would chase after the one and leave the 99 in the open country. I've read the scripture many times. And every single time I thought, ah, but that's bad leadership. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. That's bad leadership. They're strong. Uh, how do you do that? Why are you gonna go for the one and leave the ninety-nine out in the wilderness in the open country, right? But here's a context. Uh, way back in those days, when the average middle-class shepherd owned about a hundred sheep, that, that and those hundred sheep were his financial portfolio. Everything he had in life was right there in those hundred sheep. Those were his assets. His whatever, everything. R A was there, thank you for R A, everything, outsurance, all of the hundred sheep, they reflected everything that he had. So him going after the one is understandable. But but here's the context they would the shepherds would go out and help the sheep to graze with other shepherds who were going with their own flocks. So someone might have 20 sheep, another person might have 40, 50, and so what he would do, the shepherd would go, Hey, one of my sheep has gone astray. Would you mind watching yours and mine? And then he would go run after the one. And so here's the point that Jesus is trying to to get us to get. Is this. When it comes to your own stuff, you're not going to hire someone to get what you value. You're not going to ask someone to go find your kid You will go because a hireling is not going to chase the way you would chase. At some point, the person who you have hired will go, "Mm, time to go home. (laughs) Thank you very much. Eight to five, I'm done. Thank you, I'm good. I can despise the performance review later. I don't need one. Thank you. I tried. I didn't work. It didn't work out. But here's the reality. When it's mine, this scripture then makes sense. I search until. Until I find it. Nothing is going to stop me from finding it. And here's why it's urgent, right? Here's why Jesus doesn't say, uh, the shepherd goes home, make sure that the sheep are safe, and he chills and then he goes out later. Here's why. When a sheep goes out astray, it is a matter of time before that sheep is found by wolves and it's over. There's a period of time. There's a period called grace that all of mankind will have the privilege to be found It is a period. It is not eternal. It is a period. In that period, God is focused, focused on finding his children. And so he grabs your heart and he walks with you to go and find his children because there is a period that once you stray, you walk into danger. Please do not blame God for being urgent. Don't blame him for being urgent. You know what it's like when your kid goes missing. You know what it's like when your your parents are about to pass away. You know what it's like, that feeling of deep urgency, because something is of value to you. This parable finds Jesus basically saying to the world, all of you are mine, and I'm coming, for each and every one of you, and I'm going to use these guys to do it. I'm going to use them. They seem imperfect." They're a bit crazy sometimes, but I'm going to use them to come and find you. It's a video I want to show, one minute, 30 seconds. This video, well, Before you play it, even though you've played it, I'm going to carry on to <laughs> <coughs> This video, it's talking about slavery, but I, I want you to hear the point. This video is genuinely what I believe God was talking about when he used the word until, the heart of what it looks like to search until because you value something. Hopefully this video can flesh that out for you. Now is the time.
1: He puts the 99 into the pen, and he goes after and he searches for the lost sheep until he finds it and he's very particular with that language. He goes after the sheep until he finds them. And to me, that just shows the relentlessness of our father. What we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, and we will search for her until we find her. That's how our father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves, not to search for them until it gets really hard, but to go after them until we find them, to be relentless in our love, for those that are abused, for those that are oppressed, for those that are being held down.
0: Lastly, I want to talk about his joy. His joy. Um, A few weeks ago, I was running late for a meeting. And so I took an Uber. And a guy I was talking to, we were chatting about something. And somehow the conversation landed up on money. So I said to him, hey, do you think with all this technology and all the money that you have, do you think there's a need for God anymore? And he said, no, no, I think there is a need for God. Because, you know, people still go through stuff. I still go through stuff. And I need God to to help me in those moments. I said, so what kind of stuff are you going through? He says, well, my biggest problem right now is that I have three girlfriends, and I really don't know which one to choose. (laughs) So I said to him, well, I I think God can help you with that. Um, And then he said, my second one is this. I need to figure out a way to get right so that I can be saved. That I... I'm trying so hard to be right, but I keep messing up. So I need to be good first, and then I'll be saved. And so I told him my story a little bit, and by this time we had parked. And I was saying to him, hey, um, God came when I was still unworthy of his presence. And actually, what is going to heal you is not yourself You don't have the capacity to heal the broken soul in your own life. You don't. But God is the one who wants to heal you. And he listened to me and he he said, I have to go, I have to go. And and he went and that was the end of the story. You see, there's moments like that when we get the privilege to have a discussion with someone or to bless them with words and all kinds of things where we think, man, I wonder if that really made a difference. But I, I believe it does. Paul says, there are some who sow a seed, there are some who water, but it's always God who brings the growth. I know I don't have the capacity to, con- to convert someone's soul, but I do have the capacity to bless someone. I do. I do have the capacity to share truth. I do have the capacity to share my story. I do have the capacity to share my table, to share my home. I do have the capacity to share some level of compassion. the joy that we see in the scripture, where when Jesus finally gets the sheep, he says he puts it on his shoulder and he starts walking home. I want you to notice that him putting the sheep on his shoulder is a sign that he takes your burden joyfully, puts it on himself, and then he takes you home personally, right? But here's a wonderful thing. When he gets home, he calls the friends and the neighbors. Who are the friends? They were the guys who were watching his sheep. You remember that one? Yeah. There were the guys who were watching. He calls them He says, come, come, come. Let us rejoice. And here's the deal. God partners with us so that ultimately he might celebrate with us. Really, that is why he's partnering with you. He knows you can't do it. And so anyway, he partners with you, he empowers you, gives you the Holy Spirit, gives you all these wonderful things. He blesses you so that you might be a blessing. So that at the end, he, you and him and us can all just rejoice at the fact that he has received the reward for his suffering. I'm going to share this last one before I close. Scripture is not up there, but I think the story is pertinent. Mark 11, verse 2 to 3 talks about Jesus about to get into Jerusalem. And he says to his disciples, hey, go to the village close by and go and untie a donkey that's there. If the person who owns the donkey asks you, why or where, what are you doing with this donkey, tell them that I have need of it, right? And, and, so, and so Jesus chills. His disciples go. Sure enough, the person asks, why do you want this They said, no, no, Jesus has need of this. And so he brings the donkey. We all want Jesus to come and parade in our cities, come and parade in our life, come and parade his glory in our workplace and in our families. But in order for him to do that, we need to go and untie the donkeys in the backyard. The stuff that we've been holding to, waiting for a brighter day. No, I'm going to use this courage for that project. No, I'm going to use this comfort for this moment. No, I'm going to use these savings for that. No, I'm going to use that for this. No, I'm saving. I'm leaving my donkey. I've tied it up. No one had ridden on that donkey. It was new. I'm saving it up for the day that I will ride on it. There are things in our lives that we need to untie and give it to him so that he might walk in. Give him the little bit of courage that you think you have. Give him the little bit of comfort that you think you have. And let's see what he might do. I genuinely believe that over the next four weeks as we do this series, what God is going to do in our lives is this. He's going to return to us a sense of wonder about who he is. That as we do this together, as we make a decision to bless the nations, bless the city rather, we will have this restored Awe of God. You Everyone know how it feels like when you lose that? Oh, I know what that feels like. When you just do things for the sake of doing them. And you don't feel anything that you do. You're just walking around like a zombie that says amen. But maybe as we are about the mission of blessing, he would restore awe in our souls. So here's how we're going to close it. Everyone, when you came in, you would have received this card. If you didn't receive this card, there's going to be some ashes at the back on your way out to give you one of these cards. Basically, on this card, it has five missional practices that all of us and a couple of other churches in the citywide are going to be doing for the next four weeks. 21 days of us walking together. And we want to encourage each and every one of you to be a part of this Bless the City campaign. Each and every week in your connect group, we are encouraging all the connect group leaders to start their connect group by asking one simple question. And that question is at the back of this uh, uh, card. And the question is, who did you bless? Who did you bless? That's all. There's no trying to feel guilty or anything. It's just for us to encourage each other towards good deeds. And here are the five good deeds, five missional practices that we want to do together for the next 21 days. And we want to encourage you to do at least one of these every day. Just choose one. Oh, which one? Just choose one and to do every single day for the next uh, 21 days. So here's the first one. Blessed with words. This means to pray for someone that you know is lost or to send them an encouraging text. Second one is listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, Lord, who do you want me to speak to? Uh, h- what kind of gift do you want me to give them? How can I be a blessing to this person? Third one is my favorite. Eat with someone. Okay? You have 21 meals a day, uh, a week. 21 meals a day. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to, to let out my secret. <laughs> 21 small sacks a day. That's the secret. That's how I make it through the rain. (laughs) Well, eat with someone. 21 meals a week. Choose two or three of those meals. Find someone who doesn't know Jesus. Come and hang out with them. Do something you love to do with someone who doesn't know God. Someone who's far from God. Fourth one, serve with someone. As you eat with people and you listen to their story, you realize, man, how can I serve this person? Serve with love, sorry. Serve with love. And lastly, salt one. This basically is is, uh, uh, start a conversation, ask questions, listen to someone, and then tell your story. That's what it is. Five missional practices, 21 days, four weeks.